Welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, I got Nick and I got Jonathan on today. Uh, first, thing I want to kind of start it with, uh, since it is Mother's Day, Nick, favorite uh, movie mom or, or what's a movie mom that comes to mind for you uh, on this Mother's Day? Yeah, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Uh, literally would not be doing this podcast without you, I guess. Um, trying to think. Uh, I really love uh, Laurie Metcalf from Lady Bird. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I feel like all yeah. of us grew up with um, Sally Field from Forrest Gump, for better or worst. Or, oh. I don't know. I don't really like that movie much anymore, but like I saw that movie like 50 times as a kid. Yeah, so Sally Field, that's, that's a good call, yeah. But yeah, Laurie Metcalf, just a great recent mom. That's good. Uh, yeah, Jonathan, what's uh, what's your pick here on Mother's Day? Yeah, I mean, my mind usually goes to Disney, but maybe it's just because I woke up in a weird mood today, but uh, I, I guess I got to go with Tony Collette from uh, Hereditary. <laughs> Icon. That's the one. Icon. Uh, yeah, you know, I called dips before we jumped on, so uh, got to go with the mom of all animated moms, and that is uh, Miss Elastigirl, Helen Parr. <laughs> yeah. Great movie mom. Thick. <laughs> come on who wouldn't want a superhero mom? great great mom though she is a great mom she is in those a movies. great yeah. mom a protector the and scene she's also you, thick, thick. It's whatever. <laughs> with like five I, c's the scene i think of is uh what the plane scene that's like her her best mom yeah. moment there saving yeah. the family yeah, true, yeah. true yeah. superhero that's a good ass scene by the way very good <laughs> like brad bird we just I talk mean. about the incredibles for the rest of this pod yeah so. let's just change the podcast <laughs> Um, but yeah, so with that, happy Mother's Day. Now let's jump into some topics today. We got some good stuff. Firstly, we're going to start off with some news that broke surrounding the HFPA, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and Scarlett Johansson. Um, so she has come out and uh, talked about how the industry should step back from the HFPA, and obviously they run the Golden Globes. Um, she has talked about some... Uh, uh, sexual harassment that has come her way from some of the uh, members of that body. And she just kind of has been talking about how it represents a era of kind of Hollywood and um, kind of the awards section of Hollywood that just, it, it, it's kind of a culture that she believes Hollywood should step away from. She cites Harvey Weinstein as kind of one of the people that made the Golden Globes popular as kind of a way to try to push uh, your early Oscar push, right? So that's kind of her take on that. Um, I, I think there's a lot to unpack here with it. I mean, it's, this isn't just it, right? The last few months, we've seen a lot come out around the HFPA and we've seen kind of this organization, I wouldn't say crumble in a sense, but they are not looking too hot at all. Um, Nick, what was your take on this and just some of the other kind of surrounding things around the HFPA? Yeah. What was the first, there was the first report from the LA times that came out right before the golden globes or right after kind of in there in that, in that early February stage, but yeah, it's not good. And I feel like we've all kind of known this, even if you really didn't know much about the goings-ons of the HFPA. I feel like we've always known them as the really small group of maybe journalists who are schmoozed by having dinners with actors and going places and getting kickbacks and money and whatnot. But um, the initial LA Times report kind of just like confirmed everything I already thought about them, where it's just it's a crazy laundry list of stuff that they've gone through. I think one of the, the you know, not the funniest, that might be the wrong word to use here, but one of the most outrageous um, things in there is about, they brought the, the Netflix flew out 30 members to the Emily in Paris set. Yeah. Had them set up in Paris for the longest time for, in this hotel that cost like $1,400 a night or something like that. Just wild stuff. Yeah. 
but um yeah it's i feel like it's been a way overdue that hfpa has this sort of reckoning i mean i've kind of been in the place where just let it die let's create something new <laughs> but um yeah i think there's definitely a lot of truth in what um scott johansson is saying and netflix and amazon and other studios have kind of jumped at um kind of building this narrative as well but it's a it's a sticky situation that's for sure yeah yeah i mean it's i mean like there's there's been a lot i mean there's also allegations of um directors and and studios that say they just kind of don't watch your movie like people have have tried to get them to watch screenings or come to screenings and just no one shows or they reject it Um, I'm, i'm trying to remember who but i think it was I can't quite remember, but uh, this this came out around the 2018 awards season, 2018-19, uh, where there were um, uh, directors trying to get them to just sit down and just watch uh, the films. I think it was uh, Queen and Slim, I think, was was one of the major ones that that uh, they brought to the HFPA to watch. And they just kind of said, no, we're not really going to go to this screening and just no one watched it. So it, it's a problem, right? And uh, I think when you have a body that is that small, so yeah, there's there's definitely going to be issues. Uh, Jonathan, what's your what's your take on this year? Yeah, I mean, even even before I was like super into like movies, like how I am now. I remember when I was like maybe a little bit more than like a casual moviegoer, but still like not a lot of knowledge. I remember like the one things I would hear about the Golden Globes and the HFPA is like they're bullshit. I just heard they like to party, and I heard they don't matter at all, which. I don't know if they like don't matter at all, if I'm being honest, because, you know, a lot of patterns and predictions come from the Golden Globes, whatever. But that, that's really what I heard of even before I was like super into it. So like, I feel like there was always kind of like what Nick was saying, there's always this feeling that like something like this was just like bound to break even. So I, I guess it's here now. I mean, I, I don't care if it dies, <laughs> you know, I, I like, I don't care, but I feel like, Loki, and I know we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, like the Golden Globes like show itself actually like maintains, I don't know if popularity is the right term, but it doesn't drop as much as like the Oscars drop like year from year, essentially. Yeah. I mean, and maybe it's because they have like TV shows too, but I think there's stuff that like, honestly, other places can learn from them, both from this allegation and craziness but also from like the show itself yeah no for sure we've seen obviously the the ratings for the oscars uh take big declines since the kind of late 2010s early yeah early 20 sorry early 2010s late 2000s and the golden globes have been very consistent like you look at those ratings and essentially the last decade they haven't really gone up or down you kind of look at like a line graph there is really not much of a change for them so they they keep very consistent with their ratings uh kind of besides what i'd call this year's the asterisk here for a lot of award shows and just television programming but yeah they keep generally pretty popular um but yeah they definitely have some issues there's also the huge issue that came out i think this was when obviously um the five bloods uh got got blanked uh ma rainey and one night miami didn't get into picture um and judas wasn't really kind of uh kind of pushing it at that point in the award season. But I think there was a lot of calls for them to kind of try to diversify. Apparently they had no um, black journalists in, in, in the organization. So, I mean, it's just issue after issue for them. And uh, they've committed to adding 10 apparently by the end of this year, but it's uh, it's, it's a problem for sure. What do you guys know why it's like so hard to like 
why is it so limited? Like the number. It really just seems like, like a gold medal. Yeah, it really like just seems there. like they have all of their kickback systems set up. So it's kind of it's easier to circulate all that money to all these people if they keep it to a small number. Because if you read all of the um, yeah. all the tea leaves, it really does seem that like they're a nonprofit organization, but they have so much money coming in from NBC for their TV contract and stuff like that, where they're just finding ways to circulate this money where they can kind of get away from it with the IRS. And if there's less people around, I guess you can kind of figure there's more deniability if you can kind of get some people on your side. But yeah, it's a weird thing because I'm kind of on the side that like none of these award shows really matter, but I think that's from my weird, I watch 200 new movies a year perspective. Because to someone like, I always talk to my brother about award stuff where he maybe watches five new movies a year a lot of them in theaters are like your like your Avengers and stuff like that. But he loves watching the Oscars. And to him and to like millions of others, the Oscars and the Golden Globes are, are shows where you can get introduced to a lot of stuff. And it's kind of like, it's here's all the great stuff that came out this year. And it's a lot of people use that to catch up on stuff. So in that sense, like the Golden Globes does matter because to a lot of people out there, it's their introduction to a lot of this stuff. So that's kind of the one thing where it's like, I would love the, like, I enjoy watching the Golden Globes because it's so ridiculous and everyone is so drunk all the time. And um, like one of my favorite moments from a few years ago was someone made an Aloha joke, the Cameron Crowe movie. And you could just hear Emma Stone in the background just yelling like, I'm sorry from the audience. And it was like one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And you just don't have that at the Oscars because they're a little more button up, you know, a little more like, oh, like cinema matters. Like there's a little bit of earnestness yeah. there that the Golden Globes doesn't really care about. So I like watching it. But at the same time, like, yeah, like they nominated music last year and Jared Leto for yeah, little twice. things. Yeah, like that, like that shit's ridiculous. And I feel like they're in a position where they can push these really like they can push really important and thoughtful films and then you have this stuff and then stuff like music gets more traction than it deserves so it's uh yeah it's wild i'm i really hope that something changes with this because it's as much as fun as it is to go nuts whenever we see the golden globes nominations every year it hurts my soul just a little <laughs> bit to see um, when it comes out yeah i mean you know the golden globes i think the debate of whether it matters or it doesn't i think it does I think as, as Jonathan mentioned, they're just kind of setting trends. Like, I think this is very nitpicky of me, but I think if Glenn Close didn't land a Globes nomination, she wouldn't have any award season at all. That's my personal yeah, guess. Probably. So, I mean, I feel like it does in a way set or kind of amass kind of traction for future award shows. And that's what Scarlett Johansson pointed to. She said, that's kind of the, the reason the Golden Globes became so big uh, was it was Harvey Weinstein around those late nineties, early two thousands really wanted to, I wouldn't say hijack the HFPA, but he wanted to make it a bigger thing uh, for, for audiences, for viewers just in Hollywood. So it could um, be a springboard for movies for the entire award season. So it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting dichotomy, but I think we can step away from that because in uh, probably 10 months time, we'll be talking about how awful they are again whenever the uh, next round of nominations come out. So yeah, we'll jump into um, a new movie this week, mainstream. I'm going to let Nick jump into this one. Cause he's uh, he's the man who has watched mainstream Andrew Garfield's newest. Uh, I, I heard it's wild though. So how is it? It's, it's very wild, but yeah, this was kind of a, 
I don't know if it's a light week, maybe an off week for just mainstream releases. Uh, sorry for the pun that I didn't realize I was making when nice. I said it. But um, like we had that Guy Ritchie movie, Wrath of Man, which just sounds like the most bro movie ever come out. And other than that, it was just a lot of, yeah, it's just unbelievable testosterone. Jason Statham, a lot of other British dudes just being tough, you know, every Guy Ritchie movie, basically. But yeah, other than that, we just had mainstream which i think is a really fascinating little movie that no one really likes except me so i wanted to talk about it on my own podcast <laughs> but um yeah this is the second movie from gia coppola which every time there's something that comes out from a coppola i have to look back at the coppola family tree to remember how crazy it is because you have like your francis fords your Tal- talia shire is in there your nick nicholas cage is, yeah nick cage <laughs> jason schwartzman is in there too it's just it's wild. But yeah, this is Gia Coppola's second movie um, coming after a movie which I quite liked and I watched this weekend for the first time as well. It's called Palo Alto, which came out in 2013. Um, I highly recommend that movie. But yeah, so this is Andrew Garfield's probably wackiest performance in his career, possibly. And I think, I think that's the, the kind of the selling point for this movie. Um, so Andrew Garfield is this awful uh, social media uh, influencer. So the lead character is actually Maya Hawk in this movie, who I quite like and other things and Stranger Things and whatnot. But she grows a relationship for this guy. His name's Link in the movie and just starts making videos with him. And he goes under the code name No One Special and amasses a crazy following on YouTube and whatnot. Everyone goes nuts for him. And this entire movie is basically just about like how awful social media culture is um he grows like this crazy following and the entire time he's saying you shouldn't watch all this stuff and yet he's growing such a following doing that so there's like that kind of hypocrisy there but um i think the main selling point to the movie itself is that andrew garfield runs down an la street with a giant dildo on so uh (laughs) that's like the best part of the movie it's insane and apparently like that was just happening in real life and people on the streets were like what the fuck is happening (laughs) is andrew garfield having a nervous meltdown like what is going on here but it was for a movie um there's also another scene where he takes a fake shit on a table while he's being interviewed by johnny knoxville and and uh jake paul among others which is uh a sight to be seen but yeah, he's uh, he's 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 on one in this movie, and I think we're gonna, we're going to talk about Andrew Garfield's post Spider-Man career in a second. But it's a very very bizarre turn for him as a performer, um, kind of in the long line of many weird post Spider-Man movies. But it's a very strange movie that I think a lot of people don't like because it's filled with awful characters. And me being the resident uh, liker of awful character movies. Uh, quite likes that because it's this movie is kind of all about how just empty and point and pointless a lot of these people's existences are and so they kind of glom on to this idea of really quick fame and that's through youtube and then obviously the youtube algorithm and whatnot gets into it and then people start to love these people for doing absolutely weird shit and then the culture at large is intoxicated from there um so I think it's really interesting in that sense. Um, it's definitely not gr- a great movie. I think it's more of an oddity than a good movie, um, especially in how this movie depicts like actual like shooting YouTube. Like it seems like Gio Coppola was like aware of how YouTube works kind of, but not totally. Cause it ends up being like his big 
show is like a game show that he has on his YouTube channel and, and it's filmed like a TV broadcast. And it's just like, that's like, just not how YouTube works. Like, sorry, <laughs> but, um, and there's a lot of stylistic choices throughout the movie where it's like, at one point Maya Hawk pukes like emojis out into like a sink or something like that. Uh, so oh, like, what? I can understand why a lot of people are turned off to that, but I think in my own galaxy brained way of looking at this movie, like the awful stylistic choices mirror how just pointless a lot of these characters are. And um, this movie doesn't really give you an in with any character. You really don't even relate to all of any of these people. Like Maya Hawk on the screen or on the page is the is basically the character you're supposed to relate to and is your entry point into this world. But she's mm -hmm. just a nothing person who's just kind of floating through life and looking for her purpose and she does YouTube stuff. So a lot of comparisons to Palo Alto in that respect, where Giacopo seems to be interested in these characters who don't really have much purpose in life and kind of how it devolves from there. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, interesting, weird little movie. Um, it's available for rent right now. Andrew Garfield, again, wears a dildo on LA. So that's kind of yeah, what that's you should... enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really strange, but um, I think I'd recommend it on that level. Just it's a very odd movie. I think it's a, if nothing else, it's a conversation starter. Nah, I'm down. I'll check it out. hundred <laughs> percent. But um, yeah, the reason I wanted to talk about this movie is I wanted to talk about Andrew Garfield because I think this guy is fascinating. So we have Spider-Man, which came out with the second one came out, what, 2014. But yeah. since then he has been on a very weird path of movies. So since after that, his first movie was 99 homes, which was a, post um, housing crisis collapse movie um, with Michael Shannon in it it's that directed by Ramin Barani, which is a pretty good little movie. Then he had a Hacksaw Ridge, the, the Mel Gibson movie, which feels like a lifetime ago. He was nominated for that, wasn't he? Yeah. 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 And then uh, Silence, the same Let year. Let me just say, like, but yeah, both those in the same year for me is, is uh, quite impressive. I watched both of these recently. Um, I like Silence more, to be honest, out of the two. Um, I think it's it's pretty powerful, but Andrew Garfield is like he he balls out in both movies. Like he he's 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 certainly oh, yeah. really good. He's really good in both. Like they're like I wouldn't call them similar performances, but both these films are both these films certainly have well silence obviously, but there is a religious streak through them, uh, yeah. a, a faith streak through both films. So uh, no doubt, I mean, silence is a religious epic, right? But um, even his character in Hacksaw Ridge, I mean. I mean, this is kind of before, in my opinion, he started to jump in doing the weird stuff. These two movies, like this is him kind of showing his uh, his really kind of actor side of him, you know, doing these two movies in 2016. And both are good, but he's just really good in both, both of these movies. Yeah, he's a, it's, that's a tough one to punch in terms of like the, just the depths of self you have to go through for those movies. They're just really tough hangs, both of them. Yeah. I think Silence is the better movie in my in my from my perspective. I really liked Hacksaw Ridge at the time, but then it's like, wait, this movie about pacifism is also one of the most bloody movies I've seen in the longest time in Hacksaw Ridge. So it's like, wait, what are you what are you doing there, Mel? Um, but um, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on with him in those two movies. And then so after that, he goes on to Breathe, which is kind of a I think that the most stereo like stereotypical bio movie that he's ever been in i think it was, it was a uh, andy circus directed that movie but then we get into the really weird stuff which is his last two movies so under the silver lake 
a fucking weird movie that A24 just kind of buried. It was directed by uh, David Robert Mitchell. Uh, is that his name? It's, mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. it's Mitchell David Robert Robert David, David Robert Mitchell. Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell. Yeah, the guy who did uh, It Follows, who they just gave full range to just do this weird two and a half hour long <laughs> movie that amounts to nothing, but I think is a really fascinating movie. Um, and now we have mainstream, which is kind of in the same vein of uh, Andrew Garfield playing completely monstrous characters. Cause he's, he's awful. in under the silver Lake, his character is a nobody, nothing. He's, I think he, I heard him describe it as it's like the dude from big Lebowski mixed with Travis Bickle. It's like this, descent into madness for this like guy who does nothing in his life and then he goes into mainstream which, which again wears a massive yeah. dildo on L- la <laughs> doesn't he have uh, two more coming out this year yeah and so he has I know the the musical yeah which was the um it's lin-manuel miranda musical right yeah directorial debut which i have to say i hate the title but it's awful I, and I, I agree it's it's not uh, hey do you want to watch tick tick boom it's like what what did you just say to me lin-manuel miranda is uh he's a talent but like the dude makes me know how to cringe sometimes yeah i mean i'm of, so i guess hot take with him i'm of the mind that he's a great writer but he should never act in anything oh, that's my me take. too me too me too okay good i said that okay, exact good. thing yes i said that exact thing because hmm. yeah i'm really excited for in, i'm really excited for in the heights because he's not in that which he wrote it so it makes me really happy <laughs> yeah i mean so what tick tick boom is his directorial debut uh starring andrew garfield right so that'll be interesting then he's also got the eyes of tommy Faye, that are tammy yeah, when Faye. He's like, jim baker yeah yeah and he's mm-hmm. like there's it's about a televangelist so there's the, the yeah. religious thing there um i don't know if you guys got a chance to read his interview with the with indy wire this week andrew garfield but it just seems like it's weird because I feel like he's one of the he's one of the many in the long line of actors to have a really famous ro- role and then try to buck against that with his next few, you know. So mm-hmm. he says that he really likes this time that he had with Spider Man and he really is appreciative of the role. But then also he's like, yeah, every role since then, I'm just trying to do something completely different. So it's a weird where he's appreciative but not. And I feel like that's a lot what, what, with what a, a lot of actors feel these days when they have these really big time roles now um but yeah. he's like every turning, comic book hero yeah it's really it's every big guy like even you talk about you see like the original star wars cast where they had a lot of trouble kind of just moving out and doing their own stuff it's it's really tough sometimes so i can i can understand it he's kind of like the robert pattinson where he's just i'm gonna go out and do crazy shit now now that i have a lot of money yeah. and i can just kind yeah. of do whatever i want but um, i think i think robert pattinson's the king of that to be honest like i think he's got the best post-franchise filmography personally oh, uh, like out of i mean i think of daniel ratcliffe as well who's gone off and done some weird stuff post harry potter but um no i think i think robert pattinson i mean he's getting back into some blockbusters now obviously tenet and uh, the batman next year but now he, he has a nice window there of like 2010s where he, he he's put out some interesting stuff yeah and i like how he just like so openly hates twilight <laughs> Just absolutely shits on it whenever he can. The best is some of the interviews that he did, like for the last one, where he's just openly, I hate all of this. But <laughs> yeah, I guess go see Breaking Dawn Part Two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. It's one of the most amazing things. Um, yeah, I mean, just more into Andrew Garfield than Under the Silver Lake. Uh, do, do you guys remember 
so obviously you saw Nick Jonathan you as well under the silver lake mm-hmm. yeah I saw it yeah do you guys remember it just like being hard to find for like years like it took me so uh-huh. long to find that it, it yeah so that, that was the thing where I think it was supposed to come out the year previous mm-hmm. but then I think a24 took it to the Cannes Film Festival and even <laughs> like so like you typically like when you take stuff to can if you get a good response out of that it's like oh like there's a lot of cineasts there who are like, oh, I can really understand what this movie's getting at. But even a lot of those people who saw those movies, they're like, I have no idea what to do with this movie. Like this, the worst thing ever, the best thing ever kind of movie. It is divisive. Or if you look, sure. if you look on like IMDb, it's like a lot of nine and tens out of ten, or like ones and twos. There's no in between. But A24 was just kind of like, uh, we have this very strange movie. Uh, we have no idea what to do with it. I think they just dumped it on VOD. The what did you year. guys think of it? <laughs> I really like it. I think it's great. It's so, it's, I totally, it's another one of those where I totally understand every objection to it because it is so weird and so all over the place and has those weird animations that come out through it. It's spreading in all directions, but it's this like long, crazy conspiracy movie where there also isn't really a conspiracy, but then there also is. Yeah. It's very, it's a very bizarre thing about finding meaning and when there is no meaning in anything. So I don't know. As an existential dude, I kind of like that. <laughs> I think the two and a half hours is what kind of makes it cool, to be honest. Like we love our short movies, right? We love our 90, 100 minuteers, but of course. I think the fact that this is just, this is a two and a half hour, like kind of weird piece of nothing is kind of like kind of cool. Like it's kind of like good on uh, good on the director there for getting that. But yeah, I, I didn't love the movie, but I, I I'm not mad. I watched it. I thought it was I thought it was fine, and like I thought it was interesting enough. I feel like under different circumstances, maybe you enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's odd. I'm just I'm just yeah. it's 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 a really strange strange film. I don't know. I liked it, but like I'm looking at the synopsis right now on IMDb and. I like don't remember this movie, I guess. One, I, I like I saw a 139 minute runtime. I don't even remember that. I can't believe it's that long and I watched it. Don't remember that. I, I can't even really tell you what happens in it because I think it just like left my brain. It, but I'm it, seeing like images right now. It's a fever so, dream. That's all it is. Yeah, it really, it is. really does. Yeah. It's like I, I remember I liked it, but I can't even tell you why. Because there's like a at one point there's what like a hobo troll that shows up in that movie right that leads him to the final oh, yeah yeah and you're right there's there's so many weird things in that movie what? but um yeah it's I'm losing my mind. it's definitely one of those where I think it's the quintessential I went out and was a star now I want to do a weird cult movie and I think the under the silver lake even the way it was released where even a24 who backs a lot of very strange movies they're like we don't have no idea what to do with this <laughs> like what the fuck do we have yeah, like come on david robert mitchell we gave you this money and you made this like what the hell do we do with it but um i think it's i think it is one of those that immediately got some kind of cult following because it's just too weird and too bizarre to just dismiss and that's kind of how i feel about mainstream as well but it seems like throughout all of these movies where it seems like Andrew Garfield is just like trying to like purge something from himself. And I kind of feel bad for him, but then also you read about it and he's like, I feel great. And it's like, okay. I hope yeah. The bird so. man effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Before we do end on Garfield though, and move to the, this week's uh, movie Babel club choice. Um, I did want to ask you guys, what do you think? You think he's in, you think he's in uh, the Spider-Man coming up this year? 
Yes. Well, according to him, no, right? Because he said he didn't receive a call oh, or something like that. Yeah. He's lying through your fucking teeth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I-, I watched the video of him saying that, and I don't know. He's uh, he's acting. He's doing some acting in there. I, th- I think he's he's got to be in it, but I- I'm feeling like it's a small role. But I do want to see him in it because, I mean, I think we know at this point Toby Maguire is going to make some sort of appearance. But uh, yeah. But yeah. to you Marvel fans out there who are, like, cons- like making these theories, if they're – somehow not in this movie you guys are gonna be so fucking upset oh my god you guys need to curb your <laughs> expectations right now just in that's case. the thing that's the thing it's gonna be uh it'll be a disaster if neither of them are in it like it's yeah it's like marvel fans you don't want to follow the same trajectory as star wars fans where everyone's just that's unhappy true. no matter what the movie is it's like y'all better watch yourselves because yeah, i'm a marvel fan as well but i'm still if they're not in it if it's good i'm still gonna enjoy it of course so open mind just go in there and just watch it right just yeah, like right. no expectations i mean you already know you're gonna get alfred molina and jimmy yeah. fox they're coming back so i mean you got some but uh yeah you're right Cur- curb those expectations yeah, yeah. there's something poetic not about, back. yeah there's something poetic about him returning to spider-man after all of this after yeah um shitting on a desk with um with uh, johnny knoxville so. <laughs> It's quite, it's quite swinging something. through New York. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so, Nick, it was your choice this week. So, take it away with uh, with the Dead Ringers. Yeah, I feel like I'm talking about a lot of weird movies this week, guys. Um, He's in a mood. Dead Ringers, right yeah, Dead Ringers was my pick for the Babel Movie Club, um, mostly just because uh, there was the news last week that David Cronenberg was coming out with his next movie uh, next year, called Crimes of the Future. And he hasn't made a movie since like 2014. And he's been open about how basically he's too weird to get money from studios anymore. Uh, but luckily Neon jumped up to give him some money. But yeah, I've never seen Dead Ringers and it's, it was considered one of his best. And it's, uh, it's something. It's something of a movie. It's very, very strange. So I guess a quick synopsis before we all jump into it together. But it's Jeremy Irons playing as two different gynecologists. One is named Elliot, who is the more um, suave of the two, right? He's more, he's, uh, he feels a little better about himself. He's more open to talk to women. He's just kind of the, the not the scamp of the two, but he's just more uh, uh, just out in the open. And then you have his brother, uh, Beverly, who is more of the bookworm of the two, where he's kind of created all of the research that, uh, has funded their careers basically as gynecologists and leaders in their field. And he's the one doing all the work behind the scenes. And he's um, very terrified to talk to women at all at all times. And they have a very, very odd psychosexual relationship with themselves and everyone else they interact with where um, they like, basically Elliot has a relationship, has a sexual relationship with a, with a woman. Then he passes a, her off to Beverly when he gets bored and the cycle repeats and repeats. It's a very odd, obviously Cronenberg thing to do in a movie. Um, But yeah, I quite liked this movie uh, for how weird it is. But uh, what did you guys think? Um, uh, Yeah. I mean, Oh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen too many David Cronenberg movies, but all I know is like body horror, body horror, body (laughs) horror. Um, So this one was, I don't know, surprisingly tame. I guess. I mean, in in my opinion, at least for what I was expecting, I guess. But yeah, it's definitely a lot more psychosexual, I guess. And I was like, I watched it when I woke up this morning because I had a late night last night. 
So I'm like still a little sleepy and I was like watching it and it, it took me maybe like 15, 20 minutes before I realized Jeremy Irons was playing both characters. <laughs> so that, that's the kind of state of mind I was in. I was like, man, these guys like really look alike, <laughs> but they're the same, but I was um, like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, they're the same. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I do kind of like it. I mean, it's definitely more, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't want to say connected to it. That sounds really weird, but like his other stuff, like the fly, I feel like I watch it and I'm just like, Oh, that's like, that's gross. That's cool. Like whatever. I don't really, but this one I was like, felt more invested in, in some of his other shit. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was good. I mean, I, I like that since I'm Canadian and everything's American in this world. I like that niche Canadian stuff. <laughs> And this movie won, <laughs> it, it won Best Picture at the Canadian version of the Oscars. So I was like, hell yeah, I'm watching this. Is it really? That's hilarious. It's oh, pretty wow. much swept. It won like eight, <laughs> eight out of 10 awards that it got nominated for. It's like top 10 Canadian films of all time. And Cronenberg, he's he's famous Canadian director. But yeah, I, uh, I love that niche stuff. So no, I liked it a lot. I think um, it was good. I think that ending was pretty, pretty haunting but uh it, it was good and jeremy irons is always always great there were a few scenes even where i was like who's who like what brothers what like there were a couple scenes where i was kind of kind of off on that and as you said nick it's probably more of just how kind of in-depth jeremy irons was with these characters like it, there is nuance there he's not kind of just playing to each one's type right so it's it was good though i, I certainly enjoyed it yeah it's definitely i mean obviously there's two of them but it's clearly like opposing sides of this like of, of one psyche you know how they're so interconnected and at the end in which we lead to that kind of awful ending but yeah kind of what to what john was saying earlier where this is for a movie about uh two gynecologists one of them going mad with like a drug addiction and whatnot and forging like these crazy medieval weapons to use in the in the um while he's doing procedures and whatnot it is kind of a subdued movie where a lot of the like the weird horror stuff, there's one dream sequence where there's body horror. Um, but other than that, there's like any, like what violence there is in this movie is kind of off screen, right? Or it's just below frame or something like that, where it's just heavily implied or it's artistically done. So you're not, you're not getting like some crazy gross out thing. It really is more about the connection to these two people have. And obviously that this one psyche has and it's just that like you can't live one can't live without the other uh, there's mm -hmm. like that crazy breakdown and obviously there's the weird connection that um both of them have with the the main actress what's her name genevieve buyol is that how you say her name i don't know but um, she's really terrific in it too but yeah it's uh it is really something it's i I would compare it to, have you guys seen Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Steven Soderbergh's first movie? No, I want to. So Not bad. yet. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'll, I guess I'll leave the details out, but the two movies remind me of each other where they are about deeply personal like ideas and like introspection of the self and kind of the horrors that we like to keep uh, trapped away from other people and how, and how much you can actually let people know the real you. Um, but most of them are, both of them are very, very tame, but they feel like they're undressing you just by the way, like they're having very forthright conversations about very tough topics. It's uh, both of them are very tough watches, but also terrific. But yeah, yeah this movie is a, uh, it's weird. Cause there's not a lot, of, not a lot of plot to this movie, right? 
It's just Jeremy Irons just kind of talking yeah. to himself. For yeah, this was hours. a weird movie for me to watch when I woke up. <laughs> God, I gotta say. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, it's, yeah, it's very, very bizarre. What were you gonna say, Brennan? Yeah, I know. I was just uh, just gonna say that's that's sex lies and videotapes. That's kind of the good end of the Soderbergh down there. We'll, we'll forget about the Oscars. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, yeah, <laughs> dude. Everything about the 2021 Oscars, I have seriously blocked out of my mind. Yeah, I mean, all, yeah. Of, all of your videos about making the clips because the Oscars can't have been just my favorite thing ever. <laughs> oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. <laughs> They're so funny. <laughs> yeah it's it's good uh yeah no for sure I, I i enjoyed it but yeah you're right it's it is it is mostly subdued as you said it's not like like when things when the crazy shit does happen it doesn't get in your face with it it kind of just you're watching it you're experiencing it you're you're it's kind of just happening as it's kind of like being executed in just a normal fashion and i think um i think that's a that that is certainly a stylistic choice but i think it's a it's a good one to kind of try to have you i wouldn't say normalize the world that you're watching but just kind of kind of feel it in more of a way and not be shocked by it. But yeah, it's still a pretty, uh, pretty wild movie at times. Yeah. It's very downbeat a lot of the time, you know, where um, it's just this, I feel so bad for the Bev character in this. Cause it's literally like the, yeah. the lack of plot in this movie really allows the, like the gradual and then very steep decline of his mental state to just really stand out where he's just, losing it and all of a sudden he's taking so many pills he's getting like drug withdrawal and all this stuff and just going nuts uh it's just yeah it makes you makes you think twice about i think i will say what what john was for to say earlier but i was i relate to this movie <laughs> i feel like everyone should right because it's just kind of it's a very personal introspective movie in a lot of ways so yeah i do appreciate that even like even with the fly like cronenberg is there's a lot of weird shit, but there's like a human element to it. Right. Cause it's about mm-hmm. that movie is like about cancer, you know, it's about yeah. someone dying, a loved one dying. I think this one is just a lot about just how you view yourself and how you want to present yourself in a lot of different ways like that. And then it's also just about like all the queer, all the crazy connections he makes between like the insides of someone versus the outsides and just the, the like hinting at the grotesquerie of that is uh just very bizarre and like motherhood and what that means to all of this it's uh it's quite a bit <laughs> good mother's day picnic <laughs> i must say though uh cronenberg he's got he's got a he's got a crazy mind uh but but yeah. for this week that is pretty much it with the movie babble podcast i want to thank you guys both a lot for coming on this week um you can check out uh, jonathan's stuff at the film drunk on youtube and then all, obviously with movie babble uh we got our youtube Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we got all that. And then moviebabble.com is where you can find all of our content. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode as always. And uh, thank you guys for coming on.